Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to a very belated Friday show that has been recorded today on Monday the 16th of October at 9320 Towers. On today's pod we're looking back on a thoroughly underwhelming England display and looking ahead to hopefully a much better one. We'll also be talking gambling and booing along with a plethora of things in between and discuss all this and delight to be joined by two Friday slash Monday favourites in the form of Lloyd and Darren Hi Lloyd, you there? Afternoon. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. good. Was back in Manchester this weekend. Right, what did you get up to? Just seeing some friends, some birthdays. Trains ran, which is nice. (laughs) Um, Hopefully that'll be the same for the next for City Games coming up at home. But no, yeah, no, nice. Good, good stuff. Daz, you there? You well? Yeah, I'm good. It's been a busy weekend in Manchester with the boxing, the rugby. So yeah, just been getting on with all that. And yeah, it's been productive. As someone who's not into boxing, was it at KS? Yeah, I think yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and he lost, did he? Yeah, he lost. He lost to Jake Paul. No, to Tommy Fury. Oh right, so, uh, who's Jake Paul then? What's he got to do with it? He's just a brother of someone else who KSI fought, but it's just all popularity events, if anything. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I've just zoned out of it now. It's just got a bit silly for me. <laughs> It really has, but yeah, so I, I wasn't aware that was in Manchester, so it was well attended. Yeah, it was busy. I'm guessing, yeah, yeah, very busy. It was YouTuber boxing, mate. Exactly. Yeah, not highbrow. Yeah, exactly. It's not for me. Not for me. Okay, let's look back on Friday's game, England Australia. I got this hopelessly wrong. I have to say, in the kind of right up for it. I thought Southgate was going to go pretty strong because he has in recent times. If you look back on his international double headers you know going back seven years now he started off where he'd experiment in one game play his second string if you like and then go strong for the big game and then suddenly a habit has, has started where he was, he was going strong in both games and i interpreted that as you know he's got a year left he knows he's leaving he doesn't give a shit anymore about kind of limiting harry kane's minutes or, or what have you I got it wrong because boy, did was it an experimental side. Uh, I'll start with you, Lloyd. What did you make of the actual lineup itself? Yeah, to be honest, I actually i I completely understood it this time around. I think yeah, agreed. There there have been a lot of injuries this season, kind of more than the last two, and you know squads are a bit stretched. And with Italy on well tomorrow now, so yeah, on Tuesday, I can see why he rested a lot of the big guns. To be honest, it was really kind of an opportunity for some of the fringe players to play and and to make a bit of a statement, which is why I did, I was surprised that Calvin Phillips didn't start actually. But no, in terms of like the rotation of what looks like a kind of first 11 England team is pretty, it was pretty much, you know, an entirely new 11, but no, I, I think that, I think that was fine. And I completely understand it. Just keep into Phillips because you mentioned him. Do you think he'll start tomorrow or will it be Henderson? Playing two in a row? I think it'll be Henderson, won't it? Not that it should be, but I think all of Southgate's recent selections suggest it will not only be Henderson, but it'll be Maguire as well, which, yeah, is obviously ridiculous. But yeah, I think he's shown a lot of faith in those two, and I don't think Henderson getting booed is gonna is gonna change him from from kind of supporting him. Yeah. Okay. Daz Lloyd kind of laid out the the logic there in playing an experimental side. On yeah. seeing it though, were you were you surprised? On paper, I was surprised about the lineup that I seen. I'm actually happy that Watkins played. 
I think mm. Watkins was overdue at the start. Absolutely. Um, I thought Bowen deserved to start as well because I thought he's done very well for West Ham. He's never really had that proper running. I don't understand why Henderson's starting again, but you know, I assume then he's going to be dropped for the Italy game in my head. But yeah, it was it was nice. It was different. It was refreshing. And there was quite a few chances that I thought Australia could have scored from. Mm. And but no, it was it was just good to see that Southgate, you know, realize he's got different players to play with. And sometimes you need to test him to see that, oh, this this one might be perfect, different change of formation. Obviously, he's still playing with the two pivot in the midfield, but yeah, it was pretty different from what we normally see. When, just staying with you, Daz, yep. the, the chances that you mentioned there that Australia got, they got four shots on target, which is double the amount that England have conceded in their previous six games, which is staggering in the previous six games they, they basically faced two shots on target in total here they faced four is that just inevitable because you've got an unfamiliar back line yeah of course i think like for example when you watch with city when you have the same two in front of stones rodri and then you've got your yeah. back four everyone's settled everyone knows where to rotate to everyone knows what to do i think it's just naturally people like think, oh, that's really bad, you know, conceding four chances compared to the past six. But you've got to realise there's four different defenders on the pitch today, you know what I mean? And obviously, it's just it's just more getting used to it. Obviously, people don't adapt to it properly. So I think it is natural, to, you know, to concede that many chances. Yeah, and they were good chances as well, as we said. Yeah. They, they were wasteful, Australia. Well, but, time. What, what did you make of the performance, Lloyd, from an England perspective? Gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I uh no, I did watch the game and they were flat, weren't they? Totally lacking in any kind of fluidity. I mean, I don't think selecting that midfield helps because if you look so Henderson, Gallagher and Madison, I think from like a kind of complementary perspective and uh kind of who can play what role, you're really missing someone to be the kind of fulcrum like you know, number six position there. That's not something that Henderson's ever really done that well in his career. Obviously, Gallagher is very much kind of like a front foot, aggressive, pressing, kind of like number eight midfielder. And then Madison has been very much playing in the 10, hasn't he, this season? So I think I, I, I feared that that midfield wouldn't get hold of the game, which is what happened. But yeah, even when there were kind of a few moments, there was there was sloppiness actually in England's play, which again you you don't really expect to see from those players because they really do have something to prove, you know, like mm. that your Bowens, your Watkins, even Grealish to an extent. I actually thought Australia did really well. They just kind of <laughs> classic what Pep always used to talk about in his first few years. It's like both boxes. They you know they weren't very good in and around the England box. They have they had a few good chances. But no, I think overall, pretty disappointing performance from England and one that I probably want to kind of forget and move on from. I mean, by my count, there is at least seven players on that pitch on Friday night who are looking to be understudies, realistically understudies next summer, you know, to go along to be part of the squad. Mm. When you look at them, Daz, if I reel them off now, so Sam Johnston and goal, Tamori, Dunk, Colwell, Gallagher, perhaps, Bowen and Watkins... Did any did any harm their chances? Were any did any disappoint you? I wouldn't say disappoint me because I think you know you can't really judge him off one game. I think sometimes you have to with Southgate. Sometimes he does give players a couple of games to see how they get on with. Again, for me, if anything, I thought Watkins might have done more. 
Mm. But again, like Lloyd says, sometimes with the midfield that you have, you've got Gallagher, Henderson and Madison. It's not enough creativity in there for me. Obviously, you, sometimes for me, I think the best outlet we have is Trent. But yeah, did I expect anyone that disappointed? Not really. If anything, I'd, I think some players struggle to actually express themselves on the pitch. And I don't know if that's Southgate telling them just to play it safe or something. But yeah, really, if anything, it was just more, everyone was just too safe, if, in my opinion. I mean, I would su- suggest there was two players who really helped their chances. But I'll put it to you, Lloyd, of those names I mentioned, did, did any come to the fore? Did any do well enough to just think, make Southgate think, yeah, yeah, I'll bear you in mind next summer? Yeah, so there were two for me as well. I think Colwell. Yes. Um, I thought Colwell played really well. Obviously, he is a centre-back by trade, but he's been playing a lot kind of as a left-back this season for Chelsea. And, you know, unfamiliar for, for, for centre-backs to kind of play there. We've seen Pep do it a lot. But I think he showed a lot on the ball and defensively that will definitely give him a good chance, particularly because, you know, Shaw and Chilwell, well, I mean, Chilwell's kind of never fit. And Shaw, whilst he's probably England's, undisputed number one choice he's been out for a while as well so Cole will definitely help his chances and I think long term he's going to be the option alongside John Stones I would hope in mid- in central yeah. defence yeah I thought Lewis Dunk played well as well actually I think he got the man of the match on the night but he's just he's a very no-nonsense defender kind of your old typical like British centre-half but actually I think he's shown under Deserby that he's actually more than adequate on the ball and you know you can't you can't be crap on the wall and play in that Brighton team. So I think that will have definitely helped his kind of England chances. And, the, you know, the last few games he's played, I think he's looked he's looked very solid, like he can make the step up. So, again, positive because for me, someone like that should be 100% starting ahead of Harry Maguire. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I would say Dunk reminds me of a, a latter-day uh, Tony Adams, you know, kind of once Wenger got, got into him. And, I'm, you know, that's... That's a high compliment, in my opinion. I would say the second one for me, you're right, I missed out Dunk, but Sam Johnson was, was did really well. Yeah. Kept Australia at bay, looked solid, good handling, good positioning. And yeah, I, he was kind of established as number three anyway, but that is that cemented his place, I, I think, for the plane, for that proverbial plane seat. Okay, well, let's kind of... Actually, before we move on, just generally speaking, not based on Friday night, but looking at the England squad as a whole. I want to come to each of you for this, and I'll chip in too. Daz, is there anyone you just don't think is international standard? Is there anyone... I know that Lloyd's going to say Maguire. <laughs> what about you, Daz? In this squad right now, that's... There. Yeah. In Ketio, I wouldn't take him on the plane, personally. Mm. I don't think he's someone that could offer something different. I think there's many strikers out there that could offer something different. Yeah, Henderson, fair. I just don't want to see there at all and go, knowing that we said Sam Johnstone I forgot Pope's not in this squad is he mm, no, no so that'll be a one to see if he does get in the squad I'd probably take him over Ramsdale personally but yeah them three stick out the most for me it's interesting with Pope because he's he never seems to do well in an England year any, any chances he gets he never really impresses and yet for Newcastle and and you know, prior to that, Burnley, you know, he's been exceptional at times. So it is an interesting one, Pope. Lloyd, who would you say? I, I'm just going to chuck a controversial name into the frame and say Bowen. Nothing wrong with Jared Bowen, but he's just a good club player. He's not international standard, in my opinion. 
Firstly, would you disagree with that? And is there anyone you don't think isn't up to scratch? I think maybe slightly harsh on Bowen, but I think the reality is he won't get the chances to prove whether or not he is mm. or isn't the... It's obviously Saka, isn't it, for that role nailed down? Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, you know, Bowen's probably, I don't know, fifth or sixth cab off the rank when it comes to wingers. You know, you're going to have Rashford, Saka, Foden, Grealish all ahead of him. I'm probably missing somebody out, but those those four kind of jump off the page. I do really like Jared Bowen, though. I think I think if he was given time, or if England had a big kind of injury scare, I think I think he might surprise you actually and prove that that he that he can step up. He's obviously shown that in Europe for West Ham and mm. been their kind of key player. And he and he is someone when I look to West Ham playing the better teams in the league, who often kind of stands out as well. Not in the same way that Declan Rice did, because that was you know blindingly obvious. But I think I think he could surprise if he got time, but I just don't think he will. And then yeah, I, I agree with Daz. The only other one I would really have is is Enketia. I think Gallagher might be the other option, but I I feel like there's a football and under Pochettino, mm. he might be able to yeah. do something with Gallagher. But I like Gallagher as well. He always you know he's got a lot of energy. He's wholehearted. He's a bit of a throwback in that regard. And there's room in a team for a player like that, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I watched quite a bit of him at Palace. And the well, the, the two games that he had against City, if you remember the season before last, where they were under Stunder Vieira, he absolutely killed City in both those games mm. with his pressing. So, yeah, I think Enketi is probably the main one where I just don't think he's at the, the required standard just yet. Okay, let's kind of stay with the game but change tack somewhat and look at the booing of Jordan Henderson. I missed the first kind of five minutes or I wasn't aware if anything went on before the game, but certainly when he was subbed off, you could hear a gourd splattering of boos around Wembley. Gareth Southgate said afterwards it defies logic and that he didn't understand it. Daz, did you understand it? No, I didn't, to be honest. I I don't think Southgate helps by starting it maybe that might be the main problem that mm. people think, you know, he's gone to the Saudi league and he's automatically getting starts there. Why is that? Obviously we know Southgate has like an alliance to certain players where he will start him no matter what. I think it's harsh on Henderson, but I don't think for me, Southgate doesn't help the cause. I think Southgate needs to realise that, you know, sometimes play him on the bench, bring him on slowly. You know, I think what's happened now is that fans are starting to realise that, Southgate does start players regardless of what their form is. I, mm. I don't think has Southgate gone to Saudi to watch Henderson play. Personally, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he true. has. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, I just think I mainly play, put it down to Southgate personally. Yeah, I, I, that is an interesting take on it. To be honest, I I, I don't disagree with it. I, I think you know Southgate has to take some of the onus for it. You know because. It was somewhat inevitable that he'd come under Flack Henderson and the spotlight would be on him. And you picked him for a friendly, kind of started him. Well, he didn't have to. Phillips could have played there. He could have took that away from Henderson because I don't think he'd encounter that against Italy. I think too much of the focus would have been on the game itself on Tuesday and what it matters, you know, how much it matters. Lloyd, what did you kind of take from it all? It's, there's no question for me that George Henderson is a huge hypocrite. Mm. And and I think he does deserve criticism. As for the booing, I'm kind of a bit on on the fence with it. Really, I can see both sides. What about yourself? I don't have a problem with people booing him. 
you know, people pay their money, they can kind of express how they feel about a footballer or a team. I, I don't think I don't think this is like a kind of moral outrage for me. I think when you're as outspoken as Henderson was and has been yeah. about certain topics, I think then his inability to defend himself kind of justifiably have probably led to people just thinking that he's a massive hypocrite. So, the, I mean, the interview that he did with... Adam Crafton and Ornstein. I just thought he came across terribly. I yeah, mean, he did. Uh, he actually, I think he made it, he made it much worse for himself from a kind of PR point of view than if he had just kept his mouth shut. Or, or, or just come out and said it was. I couldn't turn it down. It was, you know, the money was too good. Yeah, that was that. So yeah, that was going to be my next point. I think if he'd have said, "Look, you know, I have to be honest. Big factor of it was the money, and it's going to secure my family's future, etc., cetera, etc." Yeah. Cetera. I think a lot of people would go, "Fair enough, mate." Like, you know, I can completely see that. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of kind of, you know, normal working people wouldn't turn down similar kind of wage increases if the circumstances were similar. I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's hard, but I think people appreciate transparency and honesty and his kind of failure to acknowledge the money is even any part in the decision. I think just, just shows that, that he's not all got, (laughs) he's not got all his onions in that, in that case. I don't think he should be in the squad. I don't think the standard of football over there is enough, given what Henderson's at, at yeah. in terms of his level, um, to be to be picked again for England. But it's a difficult one. I mean, Southgate, unfortunately, is very loyal to certain players. I just think with the Henderson one, he's got a real difficult one here because he's been so outspoken about certain kind of cultural issues, moral issues, kind of issues of race, etc., I think he's spoken so well and kind of had a real harmonising effect on the players and the culture and the fans around around the team that his position on Henderson is just and his, his unwillingness to acknowledge that why people might want to be critical of him mm. is just it just doesn't make sense and so I think he comes out of it looking like a bit of a hypocrite as well and for for a player like Henderson I don't think that there's enough risk reward there at the stage that he's at yeah his that's a factor yeah. Yeah, it shouldn't be a factor, but it is a factor that absolutely it should be where each player is is on their own merits and and etc. But yeah, it, it feels like he is, for want of a better word, kind of dispensable now. It, it's you know England could get by without Jordan Henderson, and a statement could be made here, and they chose not to, which is fair enough. But to then come out and say that he was perplexed by it all, you know, Southgate I'm talking about is no, no, that's just insulting our intelligence. Yeah, and for someone you know who's who has tried to be the moral arbiter on certain topics? I think the fa- again, like the failure to kind of acknowledge that other people might have different feelings to him and reasons why that might be again, just it bends the mind of it. it well, it, it kind of gets the backs up of both sides of the argument as well for people who are, you know, kind of have agreed with the moral stance made by Henderson and Southgate in the past. Then it, it's just you know, it's rank hypocrisy, of course it is, and, and in that regard. But for those who maybe have disagreed with their stance as well, then they can look at that and say, yeah, they, they don't really mean it. They, they, you know, all, all the kind of, you know, they're, they're shoving all this woke nonsense down our throat, they don't even mean it. Wave a few kind of, you know, pound coins in front of them and, and they're off. And and it kind of belittles everything, that any good work that they've done in the past. And, and that in itself is hugely disappointing, I think. Anyway... Before we move on, there's not really a lot to discuss about this because only Grealish started, Foden, Phillips and Stones came on kind of, you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes here and there. But, Daz, from what you saw of City's quartet, 
What did you make of it? I mean, I've got to say, from my perspective, it's just good to see, you know, John Stones getting minutes and Jack Grealish getting minutes. Yeah, I think the key one is, even though it's not a good assist, he's got an assist at the end of it, Grealish did. Yes, yeah, true. Um, he, d- he didn't look best pleased with it. Um, <laughs> but no, it's like I said, it's good to see Stones get some minutes on. It's, it's nice to see, you know, get his fitness back up because, you know, we, from a City perspective, we have struggled where we've missed Stones badly and we can see that now. And obviously with Rodri out, it's playing a big part. So it's nice to see that. It's, Phillips expected he'll get minutes and Foden, when he plays in the England team, he does what he normally does, but I feel like Southgate just doesn't trust him enough. So it'd be nice to see if he gets that start on Italy. Well, yeah, the lineup against Italy is going to be fascinating. I mean, we can quite easily predict, I would say, eight maybe players, possibly even nine, but there's a couple there who we, we just don't know, particularly with a couple of injuries that we have. We, by which I mean England, <laughs> I'm fucking We'll Welsh. get to Wales, mate. Oh, man. I, I, I do call England weak sometimes. I don't know. I, it's just, I don't know. Well, so actually on that, some of the journalists are saying what they think the team will be as of a couple of minutes ago. So, right, okay. <clears throat> so it sounds like, because you know how sometimes international teams, they can kind of leak out a day before, can't Yes, they? much more so than club. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the team that that's, that's doing the rounds is Pickford in goal with Walker, Maguire, Stones and Trippier left back. Yes. And then Declan Rice, Henderson, Bellingham in midfield with Foden, Grealish, either side of Harry Kane. Wow, Grealish start. Well, that's a big surprise for me if that's the case. I well, I mean, it's just it's just the rumoured team that the kind of I th- sky... And- I thought it was going to be Rashford, you know, on the left. I thought Foden on the right, Rashford on the left. But yeah, so OK, well, well, let's put that across to Daz. What are you making at? It's quite interesting, that is. I, I, no, Saka's starting. Was that word? Oh, well, he's injured. Saka, he's out of the squad, yeah, yeah. Oh, is, yeah, he's out of the squad now. OK, fair enough. Yeah, no, not surprised by it, if anything, the back four. Um, yeah, yeah, solid back just four. Just sounds so- solid... Pickford and Nett, not surprised. Mid in the midfield, Bellingham was it? Yeah, yeah. It just sounds typical England. If anything, I'm not surprised with that. The only thing I am shocked is, like you said, is Grealish starting. That is one thing I didn't think mm. would happen. I thought it'd be Folding, Kane, and potentially some someone someone else. I just didn't think Grealish would play. In my personal opinion, I thought potentially Rashford or Summit would be the starter guaranteed. But yeah, I say it's. Like you said, out of the eight and nine, you get that correctly, but then it's them two diff- different ones where you think, will he start him or will he start that person? So it'd be nice though, to see what Grealish does because I, I, I do think it might be a difficult game personally. Yeah, I can't, I can't see England doing very well in my personal opinion. I think there's quite a few players in that Italy team where I look at and think they are dangerous players. For example, Kayser. Well, he's, I mean, he's, I'd say twenty five percent to start. He, he's a big doubt. I would say Kayser. But yeah, but other players like Barella, he's a good player. Yeah, yeah. Di Lorenzo, even Damian plays well. So yeah. it'd be nice to see what nice to see how England perform. But I do think they might struggle this game. I mean, just staying with kind of the injuries that Italy have got. Kiers has said twenty five percent. Pellegrini's out. Immobile's out. Retigway is out. Who scored obviously against England in March? But their two big absences is Tonali and Zaniolo. Aston Villa and Newcastle players, Lloyd, in, in a betting scandal, apparently mm. running their own kind of private betting kind of uh, ring, as you like really? to call it. Yeah. Is gambling becoming a problem within football? And I'm not talking here about 
supporters or problems that people might have with gambling in general or indeed the sponsorship although we will come to that very shortly but the sponsorship but but in terms of players i mean ivan tony's another one obviously you can name quite a a bunch of and obviously you can go back to yes you can go back to paul merson as well it's horrific hearing paul merson's accounts of the money he lost so Mm. is it it's, it's been part of football and culture for way back, and and sorry to to lean on such a cliche here, but you know you think of all the card schools, you know, on the team buses going to away games back in the day. You know, it's it has been a, a proper part of football and culture, but it seems to be getting out of hand now. It seems becoming a problem. Is is that the case? Do you think? Yeah, or it seems that it's been going on for ages and we just haven't known about it. Possibly, um, yeah. And yeah. it's kind of coming to the fore now. I think. I think it's a it's a big problem though. You can't have you can't have players kind of getting involved, particularly in games that they're playing in. That completely undermines the yes kind of integrity and authority of the game. You know, it's been a big problem in cricket down the years. But you know, if someone's betting on themselves or to go and get a yellow, which I think is what's been accused of Tenali, or it certainly was what's been accused of Pakatar, that's a that's a really big problem. I'm surprised. I mean. I'm surprised because obviously gambling is completely pervasive throughout the Premier League and football in this country and so many of the sponsorships and you know even shirt sponsorships are from gambling companies but I would have thought the money that you know is within the Premier League and the Premier League as an institution themselves have that all of the players would have had pretty strict kind of compliance training on this kind of thing and would be told to stay clear of it like the absolute death. So I am a bit surprised, but clearly it's something that's been, it's, that's been, that's going on because, you know, those are the three stories. They're all kind of in the last, what, six months. And I did notice in when, I think it was Sammy Macabell was reporting on the, the Pakatar piece back in August. He said that, that, you know, there's going to be more stories like this to come throughout the season. So Interesting one. You mentioned there that this, well, we both mentioned about the sponsorship on the shirt and then the sponsorship of stadiums and all, all kinds of, of, of things going on in football with, with gambling. Uh, it's really got its hooks into the sport. Daz, does that make it all kind of hypocritical where football's kind of, you know, this is terrible. Oh, but we'll take your money. Yeah, it is. It is because when you look at the Pakatar deal that we was going to do, and then was it their own sponsors, Betway, that kind of stopped the deal or yeah. interrupted? So it goes to so showing it that they're allowing it to happen all this time. And then when it's about to, something big's about to happen for both football clubs, they wanted to intervene and say, oh, look, this is what your player's doing. And sometimes I feel like the betting companies can find a way to find out about the players that are trying to bet. Obviously, look at Ivan Tony, you know, that's a big one there mm. with all the betting he's done. Sometimes I just think they allow it personally until it gets to a state where it does get kind of leaked out because at the end of the day, these footballers are betting with thousands and thousands. I I assume Ivan Tony's probably betting 20 grand on him to score a goal. I wouldn't be surprised if he betted himself to score against us twice, do you know what I mean? That's some pretty big odds in my opinion. So... I, sometimes I think it's, it plays both sides. You you blame the players for having so much money. They don't know what to do with it. They think, you know what, I'm going to do a couple of bets here. You blame the betting companies that shouldn't allow any family members to even get anywhere near that type of mm. way of betting for me. So I just think that, again, it's it's kind of difficult how to play this because i like to know what Lloyd would think. Is, is there a conclusion how you could even stop this? Well, yeah, go on, Lloyd, if, if you can, because I can't think of one. 
education, I think, is the only way to 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 kind of kick it out long term. I mean, short term, there has to be a huge there has to be a huge deterrent. I think, yeah. for, for the players getting involved. So, which I is think, so you're back in place. Yeah, so I think I think multi year bans. To be honest, I think Tony probably got off pretty lightly from what it sounded like he... Because he accepted all of his charges, didn't he? I think Pakatar has denied them, and that case hasn't been heard yet. But, yeah, I mean, if you look at cricket, for example, I think Mohamed Amir was banned for eight years from the sport before he was allowed to play again. Mm. So that's, just, that's basically the main part of your career. Now, I think that was probably a bit too harsh because he was very young at the time it happened. I think he was, like, 19 but yeah, I think it, you need to have very, very heavy bans. And yeah, you, the, the Premier League should be educating the players because, you know, if the players just take a, a little bit of, of a step back, and I know some of them aren't all the brightest, but getting involved in betting on games that you are playing in, which are, you know, multi-million pound fixtures for various different reasons is, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not good, is it? Um, you'd hope no. you'd, you'd hope that they would realise that, but you know, it's it, the obligation is on the clubs in the Premier League to kind of educate the players. It's it's thrill seeking, and footballers, you know, are earning huge amount of money. So money is no longer, and the attainment of money is no longer really a consideration. They know they're set for life. So it's thrill seeking, isn't it? That's, that's what it ultimately comes down to. They're not doing it to make you know extra five grand here and there, and also maybe a bit of god plot. God complex comes into it as well to, to think that they can affect directly affect the betting and the odds and you know to put a bet on a, on a game and to think that they're involved in that game and they can directly affect it might play a part too but yeah ultimately as you say long-term education has to be a factor but I can't see this ending I can only see this continuing and it is it is a problem anyway back to Tuesday night, tomorrow night, I'll start with you, Daz. How do you think it's going to play out? Do you, you said earlier that you think it's going to be very tough for England. I'm obviously Italy, a very good side. And they're looking good as well under Spalletti now. They're looking back to, if they can start replicating that Napoli side from last season, then yeah. they are going to be a force to be reckoned with. But as, no. re- as regards to this Tuesday, though, with some key absences, do you think that you're back in England? I'm not personally, I'm not backing him. I just feel like this is a game where I've seen it all before, where England, you know, where we feel confident with the team. We think, yeah, you know, the players are out, this and that. And I just think it's one of them where, again, it will remind me of the final. We might score first, but then it's that patience, it's that timing, it's the concentration where we lack sometimes. And Mm. we just concede out of nowhere. And I just feel like it's one of them where, again, Italy are missing some big players, but... I do think their midfield is still good enough to compete with ours. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I just think it's more off England would have a lot of possession. And it's just what the problem is when I watch England, I just think we leave a lot of gap when we're attacking. And teams like Italy know how to exploit it. And I feel like, yeah, I just think we'll struggle quite a bit for this game. You've got the Bellingham factor as well, though, which we haven't really talked about. And, and, and frankly, it'd be a bit boring to talk about because, you know, we're all big fans of it, as everyone is listening in. We all kind of appreciate that this is a astonishingly good player. I mean, to my mind, he's so good, Bellingham, that if he turns up and turns it on, he could kind of, you know, determine the outcome of the game single-handedly. I mean, we saw what he did against Scotland. I'll just say with you, Daz, for score prediction, what do you think? I'm going to say 1-1. Okay. Lloyd, how do you think it's going to play out and your score prediction, sir? I'm going, so I hope it's not 1-1. Yeah, I think if Italy didn't have the absentees that they've got, 
I would be a little more concerned. But I think where both teams are at the moment, I think England should be winning at home, to be honest. And I think an England win pretty much secures qualification to... It does, guarantees it. It's a finish top, yeah. It guarantees it. Okay, so, I mean, the the incentive's there. So, I'm stuck between 1-1 and (laughs) 2-1. I'll go 2-1 because I'm going and I want to see see a goal. I'm going 2-1. It's worth bearing in mind as well, you know, it's hard to say how much past fixtures play a part because we're talking about very different eras and different players and etc. But the last 20 times England and Italy have played... There's not been a game that's produced over three goals, which is staggering, really. 20, the last 20 times we've played. So this game consistently produces low-scoring games. So 2-1 is is right in the margins for me. I think that would actually be an entertaining game as England v Italy goes, but very likely it could be 1-0 either way. Let's turn our attention, first of all, to Scotland, to north of the border. But before we get to congratulating them for their fabulous feat of, of, of qualifying for the Euros next summer, let's go back to the game against Spain um, and McTominay's disallowed goal. We've spoke to Chris on, on, well, on WhatsApp. We've kind of communicated with Chris, and he said, ultimately, they came to the right conclusion but they did so by accident, Daz. That was not ruled out for offside at first. It was ruled out for kind of the foul on the keeper, or vice versa, I should say. It's a shit show, isn't it? I mean, when it's on an international stage and you're talking about countries trying to qualify for a major tournament and VAR intervenes in a goal like that, it just gets my back up. How did you view proceedings? So they based it on it's a foul on the keeper. Uh, am I right in saying that, Lloyd? I've got mixed up here. It was for the foul on the keeper, wasn't it? You know what? I don't even know. I tried to watch it back and then read about <laughs> it. And I was just confused. Yeah. I'm watching it now and I'm trying to figure out if they're saying that's a foul on the keeper, then that is insanely... Uh, well, quite... Yeah, I know. I think that's that, what it was originally for and then yeah. it transpired that he was offside. That's right. So ultimately they came to the right conclusion because he was offside marginally, but originally it was given for the foul on the keeper, which was non-bloody existent. Yeah. I just, I just think it's insane, really. I, I, I don't know what VAR tries to find. They try to find the most smallest things yeah. to not give a goal. And I think sometimes you have, in my personal opinion, you have to base it on the actual initial reaction off the pitch. I don't think anyone complained, if mm. anything. It was just, it was a very good delivery from McTominay and it went in. And I do think VAR can kill the emotion of the game yeah. because it doesn't help. Look, Scotland's just scored a goal against Spain. You're not predicting that straight away. Do you know what I mean? McTominay free kick, that doesn't happen often. And then for VAR to say, no, there's a foul on the keeper, it says a lot in my opinion where I think sometimes, do, is it needed in games like that personally? In the in the actual tournaments, yeah, completely agree to have VAR for that. But for these type of games, I don't think you need VAR. I think, you know, yeah, naked eye is just as good. And plus, I think everyone's reaction would have thought that's a goal. So for yeah. VAR to step in... It's, it's insanely mad. That's how I see. Lloyd, did you see it when it happened? Did you see the reaction on social media? What did you make of it all? I wasn't watching the game live, um, so I kind of saw it unfold afterwards, mainly when I think Ali put a message in our WhatsApp chat. <laughs> but I just, cause, because I wasn't watching it live and the videos I saw didn't have any commentary, I couldn't. I, I was trying to work out why it didn't count, to be honest, mm. for starters. And yeah, you know, another another basic another mix up essentially from VAR. 
in terms of the decision making process. It's not great, is it? And I think what does is right to call on is actually if you look at the replays back, none of the Spain players are complaining because no. they think it's a goal. Now I know sometimes you know someone can be offside and the players might not see it, etc. But usually, if they think there's been an infraction, then the players are usually pretty pretty good at letting the referee know if they think something's not right. So yeah, a real mess, and I think just a bit unfortunate for Scotland because that would have put them ahead, I think, in that game. Yeah, yeah, it? it was one 0 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately, it didn't matter, or you know, it still might matter as regards to finishing top of the group. But Scotland have qualified courtesy of Norway losing to Spain. Um, we've talked on the pod recently about how good Norway could become, and with Oscar Barb and Harland and Odegaard. But right now. They're just not at it at all. And so it's Scotland who's qualified for the Euros and well done them. That is absolutely fantastic. Amazing achievement. It really that. is. It's, it's, I, I've, I don't dislike any home nation and the amount of bile I see on Twitter, particularly aimed at Wales, I have to say, or maybe I just pick up on that because I'm Welsh, but I just don't get it. It's, I want England to do well. I want Scotland. I want Wales. I want Northern Ireland. I want the Republic of Ireland to do well. And I'm absolutely chuffed to bits when it happens, particularly with Scotland, because I know what it feels like. And I know what it feels like because we've given ourselves hope. We being Wales, we beat Croatia yesterday. A fantastic team performance. It came out of nowhere. Two great goals by Harry Wilson. We now need to beat Armenia and Turkey to guarantee that we're at the Euros again. Yeah, there's no question here. It's just me basically wittering on saying that. Chuffed a bit, I am. It came out of nowhere, though, didn't it? Wales it really did. So bad in this, in this it was Rob Page out for ages. I mean, it really mm. felt like it was going to be a disappointing campaign. Rob Page was going to go. We'll get someone crap coming in. Someone, I mean, God, when we had Ryan Giggs as manager, that was horrendous having to support the country with that, that specimen in charge. But no, it was a good time to back. Absolutely wonderful. Nice little flick from Harry Wilson as well. Yeah, yeah, great player. Um, Brooks is such a good player. And he, to come back from testicular cancer as he has done is, is just a, an incredible feat. I mean, what a man. What a man. Do you, can I ask you then, do you do you actually fancy Wales now from here? Cause, no, because um, I, I, they're tough games. I mean, we lost to Armenia and we lost to Turkey. And now all of a sudden, human nature says, oh, we only have to beat these two. <laughs> but we've mm. already lost to them. And Turkey are a very good side. We don't have to lose, beat Turkey, I should say. We just have to match Croatia's result. But Armenia, that's a tough one out there. Yeah. You know, I'd always back Wales to get a draw away from home. We could, we could shut up shop with the best of them. But when you have to score and you have to win, uh, we don't have Gareth Bale anymore to pull us out, you know, and, and pull out a miraculous free kick. So, Is Brendan Johnson still injured for... The next set of... Um, I have no what idea on the next back? set. I, I should imagine he'll be back, but I, I don't know for sure, to be honest, mate. Because it's what, a good month away, isn't it? So Yeah. Anyway. I've just got a quick one for you, Steve. Yeah, go ahead. On Harry, on Harry Wilson. Do you think he can play for any of the top clubs? Or is it just more when he plays for Wales, he does well? Well, because <laughs> he never cut it at Liverpool, did he? No. Well, it's just how much chance he was given, to be honest. <laughs> Excuse me. It's hard to tell because I think he does lack consistency. On his day, he could be an absolute superb performer. He doesn't show it enough for me. <clears throat> Sorry, I've got a tickle in my throat. But yeah, I think he has got top six quality, but he just doesn't show it enough. And like I say, he has had his opportunity at Liverpool. And he was given minutes there as well. So where he is, is it's just right, I would say, right now. 
And it's just great to have a player like that as well, because Wales, you know, we're always desperately short of such creatives, game changers, which is why we have to rely so strongly on Ramsey and Bale for so long. So to have him come through, Brooks, as I say, I'm a huge fan of. It bodes well, bodes very well. Talking of boding well, <laughs> prompting quite a bit of amusement this week amongst the City contingent, Sheikh Yassim has officially pulled out of any takeover of Manchester United. I'll start with you, Lloyd, on this one. What, what have you made of this? It's a good banner, isn't it? It really is. So, well, a lot of United fans who obviously want the kind of glazers out root and branch, actually, even though they've had problems with City being owned by Abu Dhabi or Newcastle being owned by Qataris. Sorry, is it Qataris? No, who are they owned by? Who, sorry? Newcastle. Newcastle, Saudi Arabia. Saudi, Saudi, sorry. Sorry. That actually a lot of United fans and like lads that I speak to were kind of yearning for the Sheikh Jassim bid just because, you know, it's it probably would have meant more money being pumped through the club. They could solve a lot of the structural problems. So that's now not happening. It, I think, so Jim Ratcliffe, he's acquiring a 25% stake in Man United, but... They're going to run the football side of the business and appoint a kind of new leadership team, even though the club is ostensibly going to be majority owned by the Glazers. Is that right? I think that's what I read this morning. Absolutely correct. And apparently there's kind of talk about how Ratcliffe's playing the long game and, you know, in in kind of five years' time, he'll have every intention of increasing his share and increasing and, and, and so forth. Well, yeah, I mean, so look, that all sounds good, but I think he has probably been pushed down the road of kind of getting that message out because the United fans are not happy with his proposal because I think in their eyes they'll see it that essentially the Glazers are still at the wheel and despite the what Ratcliffe may say, they've, they've got nothing to base him on. He hasn't kind of, you know, been involved with United before. I know he's he's been involved with Nice in France, but, you know, how, how much is his word worth to United fans? So my heart really bleeds for them. You know, I'm really, really upset that, <laughs> that, that, that this has happened. No, I mean, look, this is, to be honest, I think this is probably the perfect situation from a City fan perspective. The Glazers still clinging on yes. in terms of ownership and they're supposedly being a new leadership team. But as we know with United, if things continue to go wrong, you know, the the, the kind of the axe will spin back the Glazers and, and at the kind of people that are running United. And if if it does kind of transpire that Ratcliffe's team are, you know, maybe not as independent as they say they are, then it could just get really nasty again. As loath as I am to play devil's advocate on this matter, and I really am I'm reluctant to do so, I have to say that United fans come under a bit of flack because... Yeah, you know, they're they're being perceived to be hypocrites in in wanting Yassim to come in, given the fact that they've been so critical of City and Newcastle. But when you look at the situation there with the Glazers and you put yourself in their position, God forbid, then you can't really blame them, can you? Really? I mean, you know, if I if I imagine myself to be a United fan, which is a horrendous thought, I would want him to come in. I would want you know the money and the security and you know the, the ground to be revamped and the training ground 100%, to be revamped. So 100%. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm sticking up for United fans here, but I guess I am really. It, it's I do. I don't sympathise with him, but I empathise to an extent. I can kind of see why they'd want 
him to come in, and now it's not going to happen. So, so do you agree with much of what Lloyd said that this is the worst case scenario for United? It is hundred percent. It is because I think originally, I think they didn't want to actually sell all of their stake. If I'm being truthfully honest, yeah. I, I think they only want to sell a little bit, hang on to it because they know how big of a club United are, and they know how much they generate in terms of revenue and I think what happened was I think they were very reluctant to sell to the Sheikh all of the stake and I think that was the main reason why they didn't get a deal agreed I think with the what's he called Ratcliffe yeah I think he was prepared to say I'll, I'll buy 25% and you lot still have the main shareholders you lot still do what you want and then I think they were very happy to do that and I think I think it was more based off the Glazers realised that they could be potentially losing out on something big here but the problem is, with as a, if I was a United fan, I'd be thinking, right, we're still going to stay in the same shithole, basically. Because no one's going to... If you look at their stadium, it's pathetic how it looks. There's, it's shambles. I've got friends who are United fans who have got boxes and all this. And they tell me that the toilets are bad. They're just... Maintenance is awful. Just this, There's just not all our standard around it. If you compare that to the Etihad, it's night and day. Yeah. And I've took a friend who is a United fan to a city stadium. He told me straight, Dad's... The difference in the Etihad United is wow. The United still give you the ninety vibes, like you still got your Beckham's there, or your Neville's there. Do you know what I mean? The ninety-two era, and obviously, it's all them little things that add up. And I think as a United fan, they'll realise that. Hang on a minute, what what's that training facility even like? When Ronaldo said about, oh, things are still there from when I left. That's a bad sign, in my opinion. You can't be able, You should be always updating every four, three, four years of a club of that stature. And for me, I think it's going to be worrying signs for United. I don't think they'll get out of this for a long time until they can, until the Glazers completely sell to someone that's willing to buy all of it. Wonderful stuff. Wonderful to hear, and a wonderful way to end this pod. I did ask you to <laughs> <laughs> to put together your kind of dream uh, England 11s. I'm afraid that's going to have to wait for another time because we are indeed out of time but we have covered a lot of ground today and thank you for helping me do that Lloyd cheers Steve thanks Daz no worries that's a wrap for today folks we'll have to try and get our heads around this rugby lark with the World Cup semis approaching so a load of massive roid heads collide with each other for a month and at the end of it New Zealand win okay got it take care of yourselves everyone be well and forever up the blues <laughs> <laughs>